Injury takes you out of the game. It's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Soy Emanuel Reynoso y estamos escuchando Song of the Dunes. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm joined by Callum Williams. Cal, it's been a whirlwind week for Minnesota United, who first headed to L.A. to take on LAFC in a gripping, exciting, thrilling, come-from-behind 2-2 draw that got them a solid point on the road before heading to Utah to face Vancouver in a kind of lackluster, depleted, anticlimactic, disappointing 2-2 draw that got them a solid point on the road. It's uh, It made me think of how I think soccer is maybe unique among sports. Maybe there's somebody out, out there who can correct me on this, where you can be like, there's two games, they were both 2-2 draws, and one felt amazing and one felt garbage. <laughs> like, is there another sport out there that's like that? It's one of the best sport in the world, Steve. It gives you so much and so many ups and downs from an emotional point of view. There's nothing else like it, in my opinion. I respect and understand that other sports can give you emotions. I quite enjoy watching other sports now, you know, being based in the U.S. There's a lot more access to a lot of other sports. But um, soccer ball will give you um, just the most unbelievable roller coaster of emotions. And this past week was a perfect example of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's let's jump right into it. We'll start with LAFC. Uh, I was on vacation uh, this past week, semi on vacation. I was still doing some content stuff, but I didn't uh, I didn't recap the game or do any of that uh, against LAFC. Maybe it was because I was on vacation and didn't have any to do anything with it. But I really enjoyed watching this game. Like I felt like it was really fun to watch. Uh, there was a lot of pressure. Uh, defensive pressure sort of in, uh, from both sides and a lot of ball movement in dealing with it. You saw a lot of, you know, sort of incisive passes forward and then collapses and passes diagonally back and then forward again. It just, it felt like sort of a nonstop uh, game. It felt quick and fast, like a really good exhibition of, of what these two teams could do uh, against each other. And I, I, I just had a tremendous time watching it. What was your viewpoint on that, on that LAFC game? Yeah, look, obviously, any time you get a point on the road in this league, it has to be viewed as a positive. Um, but when you do it in the manner that Minnesota United did, uh, it almost felt like a victory, didn't it? So um, I must admit, Steve, when LAFC scored the second, when Tristan Blackman scored, uh, I thought that might have been game over. Um, so it's a credit to the resiliency and the character of the group that they were able to push on and, and essentially score with the, the last kick of the game. Um you know, obviously, uh, Jan Gregus was, was brought on late on to, to make them a little more direct. Um, and he he provided... I'm not entirely sure it was a, a pass. I think it was more of a, a lumped ball into the danger zone and see what happens. I, think, I believe you guys call it a Hail Mary in this country. Yeah. Um, so I, I, um, but look, regardless of, of what it was, it, it obviously caused a bit of... Um, 
a bit of confusion and, and cause a problem for LAFC. And it fell to the feet of Dodson, who, who made no mistake. So um, I thought the centre of midfield was good. I thought Jacory Hayes gave a good account of himself. I thought uh, Dodson went about his business quietly, but effectively, um, I thought when, when DJ Taylor was called upon, I thought he did very well again. Uh, the, the, the two players at centre-half I thought were really good as well. Um, Coleman, again, proving to to all of his doubters that he can play at this level. Uh, Bassi just gives Minnesota so much stability. Um, and it was great to see Juan uh, Antonia back in, in the fray as well. So um, I thought it was a good, uh, a really good game, a really good uh, point for Minnesota. Um, you know, not many people go to Los Angeles at LAFC and, and, and get a positive result. And, and that's not the first time Minnesota have done that. Um, but I thought they were good. Um, I thought, you know, uh, the front three, when, when, I, when I saw the front three, and it's a testament again to how good the team is, uh, when I saw the front three, I, I wondered why it wasn't stronger. Um, and yet, it, it's very strong. Uh, Ethan Finlay um, will run his backside off and give you everything uh, and cause a problem, continuously question the, the opposing left-back. Um, Robin Lord in this role, regardless if he's playing as a false nine or playing as an actual centre forward, as a central striker, um, he, he, he seems to cause problems regardless. Um, and uh, the big question mark for me, Steve, coming into this when I saw the lineup a few hours before, was, was the role of, of Reynoso. Um, is he operating as a wide player? Is he operating as a ten and a half, sort of? Um, and I think it took him a little bit of time to get involved in the game. And, and when he did, obviously, he... Um, he, he made the possession count and, and got the, the equalising goal with a wonderful goal. Um, but it was obvious, he, you know, after sort of 20 minutes that he was, that his preference was he was going to tuck inside. He was going to allow then DJ Taylor, who of course came on for the injured Jasper, uh, to get up and down a little more uh, and, and to have a little bit more space. Um, but I, I thought it was a really strong performance, Steve. And um, like I said, it, it's one defeat in the last 12 now for Minnesota. I, I don't remember the ever being um, a more positive run. I can't think of a more positive run in the history of this club since they've come into Major League Soccer. Um, and if you'd have said that we would go four unbeaten against Seattle, Portland, LAFC and Vancouver, you'd have absolutely taken that. Um, and even more uh, if it was offered to you. So I think it's been a great run, Steve. And um, the group is so confident right now. I was fortunate enough to be at training yesterday. There's, there's, a real, um, there's a real confidence about this group right now, uh, as they should, they should be, um, because of the way they're playing, because of the results they're getting. Um, it all seems to be coming together for Minnesota United. Yeah, I think that um, a, a couple of things you brought up that were interesting. I think that the, you know, that question of, of Jan's uh, pa- you know, past, as you said, and whether that was exactly what the target for that was, it, it sort of came in that part of the, the game, which I, I've mentioned before, which is sort of in a game that's a – you know, reasonably tight game, like a one goal game or something like that, maybe even more so than a, a draw, because I think in a, in a draw situation, you find the road team sort of playing um, to hold that draw if, if, you know, and so it can be sort of an uneven playing field with regards to how the teams approach a level score uh, in like a one goal game down that down the stretch, like 75 minutes plus, it just starts to kind of, it gets a little more playground. Like it, it starts to feel a little bit less like, okay, we've, we've seen each other's tactics. We've seen each other's formations. We've sort of figured some of this stuff out. We've made a couple moves to change up, you know, the players. And now we're just going for it. It's just, it's just going back and forth, uh, you know, seeing who can score. 
Um, and that was that was sort of what was fun about it because it sort of felt like, well, here's the last gasp. I was watching the game, uh, you know, and just to see Jan get it, he just sends it in, and it's sort of. I think it was. I mean, it, to again, just a testament to the confusion of, of of how those the ending minutes of the game can be. I believe it it went over Brent Coleman's head. Like Brent Coleman was up there um, on the edge of the box. You know, uh, he's obviously a, a good with his head, so that's that 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 makes sense that way. But he's he's your center back. It goes over his head, lands to Dotson, and then Dotson that trademark banger, you know, like it's just, you, that's what you always want to see from Pisani. You can hear it in Allianz field when he gets the ball just outside of the box, everybody just wants him to fire one in. And so it's great to see him get one of those. Cause it had it, been a while since we'd seen one. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was, it was super exciting. I think that some of the, the confidence that, that you're talking about, that's, that's becoming evident in the team. Um, I, it's been, it's been encouraging to see, the extent to which this team has been able to come back in games uh, over the last several games, which is an interesting um, element that I don't think I have to go back and look at results sort of a little more in depth, you know, um, but I don't feel like we've seen that quite exactly that character happen for Minnesota United in past seasons in this kind of way where we've seen, you know, we've seen them be able to hold a lead. Uh, we've seen them be able to jump out to a lead and then maybe surrender some goals and still hang on to it. Um, we've seen him be able to sort of push ahead uh, at the last minute, but this thing of having, of going down a goal, it used to be, I mean, and I'm just, this is just emotional memory, but in 2017, you know, 2018, if the other team scored first, I was like, well, I'll just start writing the recap now. Like it's not, they're not going to come back, you know? And so now to see in the last set of games, you know, a bunch of times when the team has been down a goal, and then come back and then often gut it out. One goal wins. I think I mentioned this last week. The only multi-goal win has been like that two nil game against Austin. It's been tight games. They've needed players like Robin Lud, who scored. He has five goals and they've all come in the 75th minute or later. Uh, we've needed that. We've needed a guy to get out there and score that final goal to sort of get the draw or just nudge it over for the win. And that's, I, I think winning, showing that ability to win like that really gives the team that confidence on the road uh, at home to say, like, even if we go down, we can come back. And that seems to be, I think, to me, a key element for a team that's that's going to be able to, you know, hopefully make the playoffs and then and then progress in the playoffs. So I think, um, as I said earlier on, Steve, it, it shows how willing the group is to work for each other. It is a tremendous testament to the character of the group. Um They've come from behind now in the last three games. They, they seem, correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, they seem to be experts in being a Minnesotan sports team. Um, never, never done the easy way here, is it? So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a good spell, Steve. And it's not come without its complications and issues, no doubt. But um, right now, I, I, as I said, I, I think the group is as confident as ever. And, and you're right in, in the sense that several years ago, it, it did feel as though the, the group, um, couldn't find a way back into the game. There was almost an inevitability about it, wasn't there, when, when the opposing team scored, that, that that was it, and there wasn't really a way back into the game. It was very rare that, that Minnesota would, would forge anything from the game. Um, uh, but that, that's a long time ago. That, that's the, the team of the past, for sure. This is now very much a new identity uh, for Minnesota United, in my opinion. Like, like I said, I think on, on a podcast, on this podcast, a week or two ago, Steve, I... I think now you can you can really identify this team as one of the, the premier teams uh, in the Western Conference. That there is a real expectation with them, um, and I can already hear the people saying, "Ah, you know, well, 
it's good to say that because they, they pay his bills and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely serious. Like, people want to come and play at Allianz Field. They want to come and play in front of the Wonderwall. And they want to come and play uh, this style of football that has been implemented for Minnesota United. And they want to come and play with the players that are here. Um, you know, so it, it's just, as I've said to you before, Steve, I, I would back Minnesota against just about anybody uh, at Allianz Field. But going away on the road over the course of the last couple of weeks, there is a maturity now. There is, um, it feels as though Minnesota are, are more than capable of playing on the road. It feels as though they're comfortable playing on the road, which, again, that's something we, we hadn't been able to say several years ago. It's something, maybe not from a, an actual playing point of view, but certainly a results point of view. At the start of the season, we, we probably couldn't say either. They didn't seem to be comfortable from a results point of view on the roads. Performance-wise, they, they, they were playing okay, um, but they weren't getting the results. Now it seems as though they're playing well and they're getting the results on the road. And with how tight the Western Conference is now, Steve, getting any sort of points on the road is, is absolutely key. And uh, look, we, we all know, I'm sure we'll touch on it, we, we all know it, it should have been more in Vancouver. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it's a really good road point. Um, in an unusual situation, um, and it's just the, the fact that the team are unbeaten in four in, in such a difficult spell. A- approaching this spell, when it was Seattle, Portland, LAFC, Vancouver away in unusual circumstances, that, that was a, a real area of concern for the team. I know, Spadden talking to the coaches, it was a real area um, of, um, of insecurity, perhaps. Like they, they weren't entirely convinced they could they could get the points they wanted to, hence why they were so pleased with points prior to that uh, and why they were so annoyed with, you know, for example, a 2-2 tie at home to San Jose um, mm-hmm. because they felt as though this was a really difficult period. So to come out the other end of it with as many points as they have, you, you have to give them credit. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's there's, you know, I think in any given result, um, there's plenty of things you can pick apart about, you know, this should have been a win. This is two points dropped. This is whatever. Um, you know, it goes back to simple math <laughs> in a lot of ways. You have as many road games as you have home games. If you if you win all your home games and you draw all your road games, you're going to average two points. And that's that's like top of the conference. I mean, that's essentially what teams at the, at the top of the conference average. So you're probably not going to, you're going to lose some games somewhere along the line there. But if you can win a couple road games, you know, you can survive a couple, uh, you know, draws at home or losses, things like that. So it's just one of those things that like, you, you know, you take the point and it's cliche, but a point is a point and you got to move on. Speaking of a point being a point, let's move on to the Vancouver Whitecaps game. Uh, my first note here just says, so how about that refing? So um, I think that what I will say about that is um, a thing you have often said before in this podcast about Minnesota United itself, simply not good enough. That's uh, what I think about the refereeing on that evening. Yeah. Um, I, I've sort of run out of words to describe what I thought of the referee, to be honest, Stephen. I'm going to be careful here because if I'm, if I'm not too careful, I may, uh, may utter a, a curse word or two. Cause, um, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen... I don't think it, it's up there. I don't think I've ever seen a refereeing decision as bad as that. It's up there, for sure. Um, and, and I'm thinking out loud here, but, but I can't recall a decision that I was as confident in it being overturned. Um, 
I understand initially why the referee's given a penalty, given his angle and stuff. It, it looks like a clashing of two bodies together. So I understand why he's given it initially. But the, the, the irritation is, is that he's had the chance to go and have a look at it. And, and I've since learned as well by speaking to a few people um, that, you know, because my, my, initial, my initial thought was, what are the people in the VAR room saying if, if, if he's that confident with the penalty, what are they saying to him where he's thinking, I don't need to go and look at it. I, I've learned since the game, Steve, that the people in the VAR room, the officials in the VAR room were saying, you might want to go and have a look at it. But the referee chose not to, which I think is inexplicable. I think it's, um, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't go and have a look at it. Um, you have to be, you have to be absolutely sure if you're going to, to, dismiss the ability to go and have a look at something like this at an important time as it was as well. It was essentially the last kick of the game as well. You, you have to be hundred percent sure. And I guess the referee was, but I, I would not like to be that referee moving forward because um, I, I don't imagine he's gotten much sleep after that um, because I've never seen Steve, you know, usually, usually when these kind of debates pop up, there's always somebody batting for the other side for whatever reason, whether it's just their team uh, or, or they genuinely think it was a penalty. I've spoken to a lot of people uh, from the Vancouver side of things and nobody thought it was a penalty and they know they got away with it. Um, so, um, I, I, look, for me, there has to be accountability as well. I don't know what, what we do, but um, at this level of football, it's just not good enough. You, you, can't, you can't be doing that. Um, I spent a little bit of time um, with some people at the club after the game uh, in Salt Lake City, and you know there, there was a genuine feel of, of frustration, real frustration, because it should have been three points. And the one thing I hope, Steve, is that we don't look back on this moment at the end of the season and think, "What if?" Because as I said earlier on, it's so tight in the Western Conference. We need these decisions to be looked at. We need these decisions to be absolutely correct. VAR was put in for moments exactly like this so the referee can have a second look. Um, because for me, Steve, that's a clear and obvious error to give a penalty in that situation. The referee should have had a look. It should have been reversed. And Minnesota should have had three points. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I've, you know, I was just watching back the um, the highlights uh, from that game as I was getting ready for uh, for this and for um, doing preview and all that stuff. And, it, you know, like it's the Vancouver uh, broadcast team and they're like, that's a mistake. <laughs> I mean, they're and obviously all of you who are doing broadcasts are not you're not you're not in the corner of whatever team you're calling for. But it is pretty unusual to see, a, you know, like an opposing broadcast just simply be like, yeah, that's uh, that's wrong. That's just totally wrong. Uh, that's weird. You know, so it's to me is one of those things that there is there is an emotional component. Uh, there is that feeling of frustration with it, with that specific instance. Once that, you know, sort of dissipates a little bit. To me, the thing is, is that, you know, your, your question about accountability, I think not just for in this instance and like what, you know, what happens here, but what happens going forward as far as how referees are trained and how they view their job on the pitch. Because I think that, you know, to my understanding, the implementation of VAR uh, changed the way that refs were instructed to call the game. Um, from what I understand is that, you know, no longer was this a question of you're making the call in the moment and then 
that's it. Like you, so every moment you have to be making the best call possible. There's a much more of a tilt now towards, you know, let the play go. Like if it's offside, you see, but let the play go because then if something happens, they can review the offside, which is that's frustrating in and of itself because you just see how long players are running. You know, they already expend so much energy and you let them run another, you know, 10, 20, 30 yards, like to catch up to a play that's blown dead after that. Um, so in that sense, in that situation, it's, you know, slow up, hold the whistle, let the play develop. With penalties, it seems like now the 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 it is shifted to call it, so you can stop the game if you if there's a debate, right? Then you can review it, uh, and then if the re- then the review will give you a better idea of what to do. But that's a multi-step process, and if only one of those steps is happening, and the next step is not happening, which is a review on an incredibly important play at the very end of the game. Like, what is the VAR there for if you're not going to use it at that moment? So, I mean, I had not heard, uh, you know, what you had said about that. In the, in the booth, they were saying, this might be one you want to look at. And the, and the ref was saying, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to look at it. Um, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what training. I, that, that's my understanding of how refs are instructed to call it. I don't know what the actual training is like as far as how they talk about how to do VAR, but maybe there needs to be a look at how they're trained to call these things. Like, you know, like, and obviously you don't want them calling every penalty, every fall in the box so that you can go then review it. But in this specific instance, it seems like, you know, discretion would have been the better part of valor. It would have been the time to say, you know what, let's be conservative and make sure we get this right. Because, like you said, it's an important result. It's one of those things that you can look back. You might look back at the end of the season and say, we could have really used those like two more points right there. That's my concern, Steve, is that we'll look back on this and think that should have been three points there. And it's not really Minnesota's fault. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, I mean, I, I, I must add as well, the, the point that I had uh, made earlier on and, and what I had said about the, um, the interaction between the central official and the VAR, I've been told that. I don't have any proof sure. that that yep. was the case, but, but that's what I've been told. So um, we can continue to speculate, I'm sure. Uh, however, we need to feel better about ourselves. Well, and, and, and some measure of, with regard to that specifically, some measure of transparency would go a long ways. I mean, we saw it at the MLS's back tournament where you yep. heard the conversation and that's going on there. Um, and it seems like one of those things that so long as you want to protect that, you know, the, the, the confidentiality somehow of, of that interaction, the more the questions are going to come up. And it's, it seems to me, I'm sure somebody out there has a good argument for why we should not necessarily be party to all of those discussions, but it does seem like at MLS is back. It was great. Cause you were like, and then I saw in the NBA finals, they were doing a similar thing now where, you know, when there's a call and they're going to review it, the ref comes over to the camera and is like, we're looking at this. And then you at least know what they're, what they're looking at, you know? And I know you and Kinder have been through, the situation where they started like last season, I think it was the last couple of seasons, they would start a review and you guys are up in the box and no one is telling you what is even being looked at. And you're like, it's uh, offside. No, it's not offside. It's something completely different. Like a little yep. bit of transparency would go a long ways to making everybody feel more confident in the outcomes. Of Absolutely agree with that, Steve. And I'm not necessarily saying that we need referees in front of cameras, every single decision, but when it's as big as this, I, I think you, the referee should perhaps be given the opportunity to explain why because I, I think there's uh, a lot of people that are still wondering why that penalty was given so um, we'll wait and see no, no doubt Steve it, it was whilst people were, were happy with the points on the road because I think had you have offered that prior to kick off you would have taken it given the circumstances and, and the way the result was heading it was really deflating and um, 
I was, as I said, fortunate enough to spend some time with a couple of people from the club afterwards in, in Salt Lake City. And um, yeah, people were deflated. It, it was a very dour group that had been really confident. Um, and I still think they are. Like I said, you know, they, I saw them training yesterday and they're, they're fine now. But um, there was just a huge sense of disappointment for sure. Um, and they have a right to be disappointed. So, you know, usually, Steve, on these away trips, um, myself and the production crew, we, we go for a beer in whatever city we're in afterwards. And none of us felt the need because everyone was so deflated. Everyone was just like, this is, it sort of took the wind out of everything, really. And it's such a shame because it was, it was such a successful road trip, <laughs> given the fact that, you know, the, the period was so tough playing Seattle, Portland prior to it and getting two points on the road. Um, you know, getting two points, it should have been a real celebration, really. But, um, you know, um, it, it just because of the manner of it, it, it felt like a defeat. Um, and I just hope now, I'm sure they will. I just hope the team don't let it get to them and I hope they recover well. As I said, they, they seem to be okay in training yesterday. So we'll wait and see, Steve. I, I don't think it'll affect them. They're, they're too strong mentally for, for that. Um, but no doubt, it, it'll be talked about for a while. And my only hope is that we don't have to bring it up at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Also, you were in Utah, so it might have been hard to go get a beer after the game in any case. But uh, when injury takes you, <laughs> when the injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you twenty four seven access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org/ortho. Let's move on to something that's not disappointing, something that's exciting. Emmanuel Reynoso, MLS All-Star, just announced uh, today. Uh, very exciting. Little, little saw the video clip of uh, him being uh, presented with the jersey by Adrian Heath. It uh, doesn't seem like it was entirely clear if he knew exactly what was happening. Um, you know, the, the language barrier is a, a bit much there, but he clearly knew something that was good. And uh, I'm sure he's going to be... Uh, He's going to have a great time uh, playing in the MLS All-Star game. It should be a really fun one this year. Um, obviously, you know, a deserving All-Star. Uh, but let's take another chance. Uh, there's another opportunity for you to sing the praises of Emmanuel Reynoso here. Uh, and, and, and tell us a little bit about why you feel he's particularly deserving of, 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 this, of this nod. I mean, he has to be in consideration, Steve. Um, he's more than worthy of a seat at the, at the All-Star table. Um, I think... The only number ten right now that I can think of that I would I would have ahead of Reynoso is probably Carlos Hill in in New England, um, who's playing out of his mind right now. But Reynoso is is clearly one of the better number tens in the league, um, playing on a very good team right now. You know, Lucas Villarejan, you know, maybe in that conversation as well. But um, I think Reynoso is is so so important to this team. Um, and uh, interesting to see, you know, how how he plays with with the other elite players uh, of the league as well. Interesting to see where he plays as well. Um, I wonder, do they, do they stick him at the ten? Do they play him out wide? Do they play him in, in a number eight role? I don't know. Um, so I'm interested to see how it goes. But but just looking at the you know the um, the roster here, Stephen, there's some really good players. You know, this is this is a really good league now. Some of the players here would would be okay play, playing in a lot of leagues around the world, you know. So um, I, I still think it's it's always going to be an uphill task because League MX for me is still ahead of, of MLS in terms of quality and and in terms of a, a lot of it comes down because there's no salary cap, obviously. But, um, you know, I just think it's 
as always with these all-star games, it's going to be one heck of a celebration. You know, the fact that it's going to be in Los Angeles um, and it's going to be the United States and Canada against Mexico, it's, it's going to be great. I, I love the idea of MLS All-Stars against League MX All-Stars. It, it, it builds the relationship along with the League Cup um, moving into the, the 26th World Cup. Um, it, it, everybody's doing the right thing with regards to this, Steve. But, but Reynoso is, is so good with his feet. Um, he, he uses his body so well as well. The, the way that he shields the ball, the, the angles that he finds. Um, we, Minnesota haven't got a player like him. And they've, you know, they, I don't think that they've ever had a player like him. You know, the argument can be made of, of Jarvin Quintero, but, but I think they're different players. Um, and, and I think Reynoso is... Um, He's such a talented individual. Um, I can't wait to see him going up against uh, the Liga MX All-Stars. It's going to be great. But, uh, to be honest, I just can't wait for the game. I just really can't wait yeah. for the game. It just feels like it's going to be a great celebration. You know, I, all, I always look forward to the All-Star game for sure, but it, it just feels like, you know, this time the league aren't just playing some random Premier League or Bundesliga team or whatever. You know, I, I understand the, from a marketing perspective how important it is to play, you know, Bayern München and, and Chelsea, Manchester City. You know, I, I understand that, but um, it feels like, um, again, it feels like there's a certain maturity to the league again now um, because you don't necessarily need to play those kind of things. Again, I, I'm not suggesting that they won't play Chelsea and Man United and Real Madrid again at some stage. I'm sure they will. But um, it, it feels like it feels like both leagues are, are established enough and, and Liga MX has been established for a long, long time, but feels like because of football in this region is as good as it's ever been mm-hmm. um, and people should celebrate that and the best way to do that is by having an all-star game like this so I, I can't wait to see it. it's going to be great yeah I mean I think LA is a perfect city to have this you know obviously yeah. um, as far as the viewership and the fans there and everything like that and I think that you know the Liga MX is still you know, more popular than MLS right now in the U.S. based on, you know, the viewership of, of uh, fans of, of Lee MX. So it, it's going to be fun. I think it'll be a fun way to get people to watch MLS, to see the, the appreciate the skill there. I do really appreciate the, um, you know, the way the Lee, you know, like as the, 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 the players were announced, sometimes you're like, you know, when they come through all-stars and picking different guys, it's like, well, we're always going to have these guys. And then we're going to have a couple guys, you know, who sort of rotate in and out. And then we'll have some random guys, you know, when it comes to the NBA, that's often the way it goes, but it feels like a nice mix of, you know, sort of not necessarily always picking the the most obvious person, um, but picking somebody who is doing really well this year or who, who, you know, or who would just be fun to have be in the team. You know, like, again, I think with, with Ray, his, his counting stats are not huge this season so far. You know, his he's, he's got a couple goals and a couple of sticks. It's not it's not huge, but he's uh, leading the team in key passes. Is the thing I keep coming back to. If you go look at the key pass that he has, uh, I believe forty seven or forty nine, depending on how you want to count them and what your scores is. The next person uh, on the list for Minnesota United is Romal Messonier, who has seventeen. So the man is sending in the passes that are important for the team to score goals, whether or not he is getting the assists for those. And so he's and he's tremendous fun to watch, and I think that's going to be a great thing for them. So uh, it'll be it'll be a good time, and uh, it'll be some, some good TV. Let's let's talk about uh, the Gold Cup and the U.S. Men's National Team uh, in that championship beating Mexico. Uh, very exciting moment, and uh, I think a credit to you know Greg Berhalter, and uh, you know facing a lot of questions in you know for the last several years as he's sort of run this program, and uh, you know. 
now he's got hardware. So not that everybody should shut up. They can still have their complaints, but uh, a pretty big accomplishment for Burhalter and, and the team there. It's difficult now, Steve, to criticize. And I was one of those critics, by the way. I've got no problem admitting that. Um, but now it's difficult to criticize because, yeah, he's got silverware on two separate occasions. Um, I think now moving forwards, the, the most interesting thing for me now, Steve, is over the next 18 months, Greg Berhalter has got some major decisions to make because, as you insinuated there, this roster was not what many would consider to be the A-team. And I hate using that phrase because I, I, I think, you know, <laughs> what makes an A-team? You know, it's, 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 if you're on the field, you're, you're a part of the A-team in my opinion. For me, but... for me Mr. T has to be on the A-team. That's the only A-team <laughs> I recognize. <laughs> I was waiting for something like that. Um, <laughs> So, um, look, I think um, it's going to be really interesting because I think now, Steve, a lot of those players on that roster have staked their claim to be involved in the World Cup roster. Obviously, you can only take 23 to the World Cup, but I think several of those that were on this Gold Cup team have, have really, really forced Greg Berhalter into more deep thinking. Um, I thought Miles Robinson was outstanding throughout the tournament. I thought um, I thought Sam Vines gave a good account of himself. I thought Kellen Acosta was very good as well, um, for the most part. Um, I thought Matthew Hoppe caused problems from time to time as well. Uh, and obviously Matt Turner was, was wonderful throughout the tournament as well. So I, I think there's, there's an abundance of them that have really made their way into the thought process now in terms of who Greg Verhelter can, can pick for, for the Gold Cup, you know, so, uh, for the World Cup, sorry. So, I think, um, you know, the, the Gold Cup roster, I think, was, was quite puzzling for a lot of people. Obviously, a, a lot of the star players weren't allowed to compete because they were already in pre-season with, with their European teams, um, which I think is a, is a shame. But, but what it's done is it, it has given a lot of these younger players, and, and quite frankly, it's given a lot of MLS players an opportunity as well that they wouldn't necessarily have had. Someone like a, a Paul Ariola, for example, I think, maybe would have been in, in the roster, but I don't think he would have played as many minutes as he, as he has done. So um, now, I mean, that's another one that, that perhaps is, is within the thought process of Greg Verhalter as well. So um, we, we all know there's, there's certain people from, from that group, the Gold Cup group, that will go just because they're Verhalter's players. Like a Jassy Zardes, for example, I, I think is already in, in permanent ink on that World Cup roster um, because he's played well. But also, Greg Verhalter knows him from from Columbus days and what have you, and um, he, he's a reliable individual for Verhalter. Um, and I think Verhalter is one of his coaches. What he does of his favorites, every, every coach has their favorites, right? But but I think Verhalter is no different. Um, so it'll it'll be really interesting to see what the next eighteen months look like. I think the I, mean, I, I don't know how many, but I'm assuming there's going to be an abundance of friendlies. Um, and, and and look, the US have also got a going to qualify for the World Cup as well. So, um, But I, I think um, the the next couple of games, whether they are friendlies or qualifiers or what have you, I think um, are going to be a real indication of, of where Greg Barhalter is looking and, and what he's thinking. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if the majority of this Gold Cup group is used over the course of the next 18 months. Of course, we'll see in big games and important games and qualifiers, the likes of Pulisic and McKenney, Rayner, and, and, and that cast, they, they will be involved, obviously. But um, I, I'm more interested now in, in terms of um, who's going to be 
uh, in the, the rest of the roster. And I think, as I said, over the next 18 months, we'll get a, we'll get a decent idea of that for sure. Yeah, I strongly recommend anybody uh, who's interested go check out Char- Charles Bohm on um, MLSsoccer.com has a good article about Bert Halter and his, uh, especially his sort of reference in particular to Jossi Zarda saying, uh, Bert Halter talked about his tight variance, uh, which, you know, saying that the thing about Zardes is that he doesn't have a lot of bad games. He might not necessarily be elite in the way that you think of a forward as being elite, but there's just, he's always going to give you like what he gives you there's not there's not going to be a fall off and for you know a program where you're bringing guys in um you know cal for who are not you're not training together all the time you need guys who step in and they're like you know what they're going to deliver and that's sort of what what uh jossie's artist uh has done and matt turner uh matt turner was good enough to force our producer tyson hill to admit to me that goalkeeping is important in soccer which normally he's like anybody can play goalkeeper it doesn't matter so what? uh Credit. Tyson, wow, <laughs> word, mate. we've got to have words about that. Call him out. We'll have to have him on and come defend his his position. Although now, I maybe Matt Turner made him change his mind. Um, let's move on, Cal, to talk a little bit about Houston, uh, the upcoming game. You and Kendra are going to tackle this in, in much more depth on your match preview uh, podcast coming up. And and Houston is playing uh, tonight, I believe, uh, against yeah. Austin. So there'll be some more results to think about. The, the, the main thing I just wanted to ask about is. Um, how you see the Corey Baird acquisition? They just got him from LAFC for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in allocation money. Um, obviously, Houston known for a long time for having guys like Albert Elise and Mara Monotas and these these finishers and these like terrors in the attack haven't had that really, uh, and are hoping I think to get sort of a, a a little boost out of Corey Baird with his with his finishing ability. How do you see the the that acquisition helping out uh, the Dynamo this season? Yeah, it's an interesting transition period for the Dynamo, Steve, because you're right, they used to be very, very good at counter-pressing because they could with the likes of, of Elise and Kyoto. Um, and then it, it's been an abundance of centre-forwards over the years between those two, hasn't it? So they used to be really, really dangerous on the counter-press. Um, changing a little bit under Ramos now, but um, I, I'm interested to see how they, how they look this evening. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the game against Austin uh, because Austin, obviously, bottom of... Of, of the West at the moment, they're in need of a win, and, and the Dynamo haven't won on the road this season. Um, so they will surely think that if there's a chance, it, it'll be this evening for them. And I said that with all due respect to Austin, but um, it's an interesting team, Steve. Um, a lot more compact compared to what they used to be. Um, not as expansive, uh, not as abrasive from an attacking point of view. Um, the centre forward operates a little bit deeper nowadays. It, it, it's it's tended to be a routine from, for the most part of the season. Um, but in terms of Corey Baird, Steve, I look, Corey Baird's a good player. And I think it, it, from a personnel point of view, it's a good addition. He's a good player. And I like him. Um, but sorry, I'm been attacked by a fly consistently here. It's, it's turned my head in. Um, <laughs> I'm showered, honestly. Go away. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, Corey Baird, um, for me... Um, $750,000 in allocation plus an international spot. I'll be honest with you, Steve, my jaw hit the ground. I don't think I've ever seen a player that has been as overpriced as this in Major League Soccer because LAFC bought him for five hundred grand from Real Salt Lake. And I thought to myself, yeah, okay, I, I can see that. He was certainly on an upward trajectory at Real Salt Lake um, and had a, attracted interest from overseas sort of, you know, not, not any major European interest, but there was certainly one or two eyeballs on him from, you know, leagues in Norway and Sweden and what have you. Um, but um, I just thought to myself, um, this is this is too much. This is a lot of money. 
this is a really, really eyebrow-raising trade. Um, and and I say this with all due respect, Steve, because as I said, I think Corey Baird's a good player, but it, it did insinuate to me that Houston Dynamo perhaps have run out of ideas and they were looking for something different. Um, and again, I say that with all due respect, because I, I think Corey Baird can offer them something that they, they haven't had. It'll be interesting to see where he plays, whether he is in a wide area or whether he's actually playing as a, as a centre forward. Um, we also don't know what's happened behind the scenes as well. Um, maybe mm-hmm. he didn't work. Maybe him and Bob Bradley didn't, didn't get along. But, cause, but, but to my knowledge, Steve, I, I don't necessarily think he was on the trading block. Um, plenty that are on the trading block at the moment with the, the window closing on Thursday. And, and to my knowledge, he wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I just get the feeling that um, Matt Jordan, the, the GM of, of the Dynamo, um, I think saw him and thought he was a good player, and I, I and again, look, I mean, I know that there was other MLS interest in Corey Baird, so maybe what they've had to do is they've had to pay over the odds for him to get him. Um, maybe that's the case here, Steve. But my my point overall is, I think it's too much money because for seven hundred and fifty grand is is enough anyway. But to add an international spot on top of that as well, those are going for two hundred and fifty grand nowadays. Um, maybe even more, depending on how much you want the international player. So um, I, I thought it was a strange one in terms of the price. The player was a good addition, but in terms of the price, I thought it was a bit much, Steve, if I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you look at other other deals that have gone down, I believe, you know, Christian Ramirez went to LAFC from Minnesota United for close to a million in, in, in GAM. Um, and that was Christian coming off a great year, um, you know, and like, I, I don't think we've necessarily seen that from, from Corey Baird at quite that level, um, you know, and yeah, it's I think you're probably right in the sense that there's, he was probably not on the trading block and that's maybe why the cost was so high that it's one of those things that, you know, Houston wanted something and they, they offered it and LAFC were like, well, we have to take this because that, that game is just whatever the distribution distribution is. It's like, we we need to take this. So you can't turn that down. You can't turn that down, Steve. It's too much. And, and look, I mean, um, I, I just, I hope it works out. I really hope it works out. Um, just, just not this this coming weekend, but I hope it works out because, um, <laughs> unfortunately, and it's, and it's not the player's fault, by the way. None of this is the player's yeah, fault. Yeah, right, totally. Um, but that price tag is now going to be on his head. And if he doesn't deliver, um, he may very well get the blame. And I said it's not his fault because, really, it, it should be a combination of Tab Ramos and, and Matt Jordan that, that get the blame for it if it doesn't work out. But, um, it'll be interesting, Steve. But how, how long have, have, have we got left here? Because there are some some interesting transfer tidbits, by the way, which I'm I'm getting at the moment. I don't know. Go on. I'll let you please. Sorry. How, how much? How how long are your are your tidbits? Like, if you want to just sprinkle well, them out there, I'd, I'd I'd hear them. Well, yeah. Look. So, I mean, obviously, and again, I've got to be careful what I say here, Steve. But but this is the best part. Um, Whenever you have to be careful, this is when the good stuff happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but obviously the window the window closes on Thursday. Um, for MLS teams to, to bring in players and make trades and what have you. Um, there's obviously deals happening um, all around MLS. Players have been traded. Um, free, agent, uh, free agents have been brought in um, in the most careful way possible. Um, Minnesota are going to be active. Um, I, I, I would be, let me put it this way. I would be stunned, Steve, if 
if Minnesota United are not active um, over the course of, what time is it now? 2.50. 2.50 on a Wednesday. I'm not so sure time the, the window shuts on Thursday, but um, let's say over the next 24 hours, I would be surprised if there's not some movements. Let, let's go with that, shall we? And, and by the way, that could mean okay. out, in, that, that could mean all sorts. That sure. could mean cash coming in, cash going out. I, I would be surprised if there's not some activity in the course of the next 24 hours. Let's leave it there, shall we? But just, just uh, I would, I would encourage Minnesota United fans <laughs> to be on your toes. Nice. Set your alerts on your on your uh, on your phone on on Twitter. So, um, last thing I want, just want to get your input in real quick. Uh, a, a move that's near and dear to your heart, Jack Grealish to Man City. How do you feel? Mate, we have to bring this up. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, oh. I had to. Oh. It's, it's oh. your boy. <laughs> I know, I know. He's Birmingham boys, our boys. He's he's our player. He's you know. Look, here's what I'll say about it, Steve. Um, 100 million pounds is too much money to turn down for any Premier League team for one player. I, I think Jack Grealish is one of these players that he was sort of invaluable. There's no correct price for him, really. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if 100 million is enough. I'm not sure if it's over the over the top. I don't know because I, I genuinely think he's he, he is indispensable. Um, but when you start looking at it from a numbers point of view and you can write 100 million that, that, that's a ridiculous amount of money for one player uh, you have to let him go um, I was told the other day as well that uh, I think his wages are going to be somewhere along the lines of £270,000 a week as well um, you, you can't blame him for going you can't and, and, and that's not even talking about it from a footballing point of view Steve because he's going to be right. playing with some elite players um, he's going to um, he's playing Champions League football regularly. He's going to be towards the upper echelons of the Premier League with a genuine chance of winning the Premier League almost every single season. Aston Villa can't offer that. And, and I don't think they will be able to offer that, maybe even ever, to him. So um, you have to go. Um, I, I've heard this a lot recently, and I completely agree. As, as, a, as a footballer, as in, any, in any sport, really, Steve, I, I think you, you've got to do what's best for you as a player. Um, because the, the club will certainly look after themselves. <laughs> the company will look after themselves. So you have to go and, and, and do what's best for you as an individual and best for your family. Um, what I hope happens, Steve, is that, you know, it, it looks like it's done. It looks like he's going to go. Um, so I, I've accepted that now. And, and by the way, the, the, the sting of that has, has been softened because of the move, some of the moves that Aston Villa have made today, by the way, bringing in Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, and Danny Ings as well from Southampton. That, that those are two really, really good forward-thinking signings. Um, you, but Grealish is one of these players that you can't replace with a single player, so I think you have to do it with several. Um, and there's one or two others that I keep hearing they're looking at bringing in as well. But um, look, I, I think um, ultimately my, my biggest hope here is that if he does go, it seems like it's done, he's going to go, he's going to have a wonderful career, win, win countless trophies, um, and he's what he's 25 now, I believe 25, 26. I hope he comes back to Aston Villa when he's of a certain age, and and I hope that the Villa fans welcome him with open arms. And I hope he's going to get some abuse. It's just going to happen because people are idiots. Um, but I hope the abuse is limited, yep. and I I hope that people understand why he's gone. You know, I don't want to see any jerseys being burnt or anything along those lines. You know, and. I don't want to see him called a traitor or a snake or anything along those lines because he's gone about it the right way. Um, and I think my, my biggest hope, Steve, is that he is he's successful and he is 
wished all the luck in the world. And the relationship between him and the Aston Villa fans is is is, is not even not even touched, not tarnished one bit. And and we continue to have the amount of respect for each other that we do. Uh, and as I said, at some stage, I, I hope he returns. Uh, at which point, I, I hope it would be with open arms. So um, I think the best way to, to address it is, you know, devastated, but completely understand and, and wish him nothing but the best of luck. If we could get some sad music uh, put under this bed uh, <laughs> in the post-production. It's not on the live show, but, you know, in, in the post-production a little bit there. Uh, my yeah. condolences during this this difficult time, uh, Callum Williams. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for the 154th Sound of the Loon podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Enteris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And congratulations to Kai Wagner, who got into the All-Star game. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.